Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. In this show, we talk to people from around the world. We usually cover the news uh, with people from different parts of our planet. And that's what we're going to be to going to do today uh, with one topic, uh, because there's only one thing to be talking about, really, and that is the COVID-19 coronavirus. And uh, we have people from all over the globe and uh, a lot of people, actually. So I hope this goes well. I don't think we've ever had that many people on the show. My name is Patrick Beja, and uh, we're going to try to be both serious and uh, uh, sensitive to this uh, very uh, big problem that the world is facing, and at the same time, not too boring. We'll see how it goes. Um, we I, Before we start, I do want to thank the patrons at patreon.com slash the Phidias Club, the listeners who uh, decide to support the show financially. Without them, you wouldn't be listening to this right now. So if you've been uh, listening for a little while, please do take the time to check it out. The link is in the show notes and uh, it could be, you know, a nice thing to do. You're, you're uh, probably at home right now and you can't really go out. So you have time. <laughs> so maybe check that out. Also, uh, last week we did an episode on toxic relationships and that was a really good episode with Wendy Dunford um, and we discussed that for a little bit and, and I think it was really informative for both people who might be in toxic relationships and people who think they might have friends who are in those kinds of destructive relationships and uh, that was a really great conversation so go check that out if you haven't yet. It's the previous episode on the feed. On the feed. All right. So we have uh, six people total uh, on this show. We have two people from South Korea, two people from Italy, one from Finland slash France. That's me. And one from the US. Let's go in uh, chronological order from around the world, I suppose, uh, with South Korea first with uh, uh, Michael and Kara. Michael, how is it going? You have to unmute Bro, yourself. Pretty good, Patrick. Yes. Doing all right today. Doing all right. Okay. That that's. Uh, I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, you were <laughs> at the forefront of the pandemic. So we'll we'll talk about this in a second. Michael and Kara, husband and wife, live in in uh, in South Korea. Kara, how's it going? Yes, good. How are you guys? Uh, doing well so far. Can you can you both tell us? I don't know if you can take turns or who wants to start, but uh, so that the listeners know a little bit about you and and the context. Um, where are you from? How long have you been in South Korea? You're you're originally from America, is my understanding. Yes, uh, yeah. So we are a military family. We've been over here um, since early 2018, so a little over two years now. Um, and we <laughs> got sent to South Korea with a seven-month-old in hand. <laughs> and they said, see you in a few years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's just how the military works. So um, we've now been living in southern South Korea. We are about an hour and 45 minutes south of where the huge outbreak was in Daegu. So we were very close to everything um, and have been like pretty, uh, pretty, I don't want to say involved, but I mean, we've, things have been affected by everything that happened here. So mm. we, we definitely felt it. And now, of course, we're also feeling some of the things that are happening back home because that's where all of our friends and family are. 
Of course. Um, we'll talk about the, the U.S. towards the end uh, with Camden. And of course, you, you can uh, uh, jump in at that point. Um, are, are, would you, Michael, are you, who's the military person in the family? Is it Michael or Kara? That's me. I'm the military person. Okay. Um, are, are you, um, just before we jump into the thing full steam or full on, um, did it like being a military personnel, did that mean that you had to do stuff specifically about the virus? Like, were you involved in, I don't know, population control on the base? And like, although it's all military, so maybe they're all disciplined, unlike the people here in, in Western Europe. But uh, how involved were you? Uh, a lot of it just mainly revolved around uh, taking whatever guidance we were giving and just making sure people knew mm. based off uh, what we were being told. Um, I mean, it's a lot easier to control what we do um, than local population or uh, families here uh, because, you know, we're, we're told to do what we're told and, you know, follow that. But um, I think overall, it's just been mainly just putting out the guidance and, and people respecting that guidance and, and following along so that we don't, you know, continue to create more issues in South Korea than fix it. Right, right. And yeah, I, I, will, um, I will also just add to that quickly that we actually have a lot of Korean nationals that work on base. Um, so we are we are not entirely just U.S. military here. So mm. there have been some precautions as like, you know, you have to have temperature readings and, you know, b being very conscientious. If someone gets a cold, you know, you check in with the doctor and make sure that it's just a cold. And so there have been more the preventative measures and um, hyper awareness has absolutely increased. So not necessarily like population control, but just being a lot more hyper vigilant about anything that might even potentially mm. be something <laughs> ever since this all started. All right, we'll get back to it in a second. Uh, and I have many questions that are coming to my mind. But uh, <laughs> the, the Italians, uh, Alessandro and Giovanni, let's start with uh, Alessandro. Can you tell us just a, a couple of words about you, uh, where you are and what you do? Sure, I am 24. I'm a um, university student and I live in in Mira, which is where the first death in Italy actually occurred. And okay. uh, I've always lived in Italy. And so it's, um, it feels uh, a little strange to, 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 to see what, what's happening uh, in the world and actually then seeing, seeing it uh, happen inside your, your home, basically. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it, just uh, getting sorry. back to the to the McCanns for just a second. Do you feel like it's you're over the hump in South Korea or not yet? I'd say yes. Okay. Um, our our case growth has slowed significantly. I mean, we went from like a hundred to two thousand in the course of a week and a half or two weeks, and once we got to around five or six thousand the growth just started slowing so much. And I feel like mm. we're, we were actually just talking about that today. I feel like we're, we're about to come down on the other side. And how long has it been since the explosion of, of uh, cases? Almost uh, a month. Like a, yeah, like a month, a month um, before okay. Daegu really kind of, you know, blew up with uh, all the COVID cases up there. Okay, so mm -hmm. in Italy... Um, you're still full into uh, the, the explosion, I guess. 
That's what. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Giovanni, that's what you feel as well. Where Where are you, and and can you tell us about yourself? Okay. Hello. Good morning. Um, I'm in Milan right now, and actually, I'm a, a master student in public sector innovation and e-governance, and I'm actually a student from um, an international program from KU Leuven, Münster, and Taltec. But I came back this semester in Milan to write my master thesis. Mm. So basically, I'm a foreign student in a, my own home country, sort of. And um, yeah, I'm, I've been in Milan so since the beginning of this year. So since the beginning of January, I previously lived here for a few years. And I've been involved in uh, public administration, local government for a few years here in Italy, here before moving out. And yeah, I, I'm totally. Uh, I totally agree with Alessandro. The the we are we see it as it's uh, not the beginning, but we are in the middle of it. Mm. Of for sure, we are not over it yet. Okay, all right, and we'll get back to Italy in a second. Um, so going uh, to the next one, France mm. slash Finland. Uh, so I'm Patrick Beja. I'm forty uh, something. Uh, a little bit over 45, I can't even remember, 47. Um, I am a podcaster, so I work from home. And for me, things haven't really changed a lot, uh, except I, I look around and I see everyone panicking. Uh, we are at the beginning of the serious measures in France. A, a few days ago only, we had um, the government implementing Uh, closing the schools and universities and all of that. And what we've witnessed over the weekend is that people are insane. And the importance of social distancing, which we'll get into in a little bit, is not being understood by uh, most people, it seems. But I think that's an image on Twitter. Uh, but you, you see a lot of videos and photos of people going out to the park as if like the reaction is that of a terrorist attack. It's like, oh, we won't let ourselves be defeated by adversity. And people don't understand that you need to stop the spread and going outside and in terraces and in cafes. They're, they're literally full. Like at least, again, it might be, you know, a few thousand people out of 60 million in the country. Um, and because of Twitter, it seems like more. But that is insane. And it seems it is the case everywhere Um including in Finland, where the discipline, I thought, was much higher. But my, my interpretation is that people don't understand how important it is to social distance. And hopefully, once they understand, they will um, get it, do it more seriously. But we'll see. That this is where we are at the moment. We have cases in the hundreds, I think. But, of course, the authorities are, uh, you know, finally... Um, not finally, I think it's really difficult to find the right time to implement uh, closing everything, because if you do it too early, it's more damaging than it needs to be, especially to the economy, which will be another issue down the line. But roughly about a few days, roughly into uh, uh, within a few days, it was probably the right time, probably a little bit too late, but you know. What, you're gonna, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, so this is roughly the situation in France and the US and we'll get in, in, in Finland. And we'll get back to it in a minute. Uh, finally, Camden is in the US. Uh, again, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Patrick. Uh, so I live um, in Bellingham, Washington, which is maybe 
uh, an hour and a half just north of Kirkland, Washington, which is where the first death uh, of the coronavirus was in the United States. Uh, I'm 28. I'm a trans woman, uh, a social libertarian, and a hip hopper, uh, which can <laughs> answer a, a lot of questions. Um, yeah. So you are, and and is it fair to say that the uh, well, I don't. If we start talking about everything that's happening in the U.S., I feel like this is just going to take over. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about the feeling? And again, you know, in these shows, we ask one individual to kind of give us the, the feeling of an entire country. And it's obviously it doesn't make sense for any country, but even less in the U.S., I think. But so can you give us your your feeling about how things are going so far in the U.S.? Uh, as yourself and maybe as you, you, you feel it's going for um, the country, I, I'm going to dare say, but yeah. Um, I'm going to use a metaphor. Let's pretend that the United States is the Titanic and it's going down. So a lot <laughs> of people are going to the lifeboats. Let's get the women and children, right? The people who are uh, at risk, right? And then the rest of the people are laughing and just having a good time and not understanding how serious it really is. And it's kind of putting everybody else at risk. Um, I can't, uh, I have a compromised immune system, so I can't go get cleaning supplies, right? But we're all out of toilet paper. So how are we supposed to go get toilet paper if the shelves are completely empty? How are we supposed to prepare? And it's just this, it's this state of panic. Um, and some people are handling it well, some people aren't, and some people don't even acknowledge it. All right. Uh, so we'll get back to that situation uh, in just a little bit. But let's start with uh, South Korea. Um, it started to blow up about a month ago, as you said, as, as you both said. Uh, can you take us through how things went from, I guess there was a little bit of disbelief, I imagine, because that's how I reacted in the beginning, um, to realizing, to understanding the seriousness, to implementing, like, take us through uh, the different stages of what you went through. Um, sure. So we were actually just talking the other day because we are, of course, are seeing some of our friends and family's reactions back in the States. And, you know, we had to laugh a little bit because we're like, that was us a month ago. You know, yeah, just very the same, similar, super similar, just in that kind of not not quite so like not brushing it off quite so severely, but saying, you know, why is this a big deal? I don't understand. And because South Korea was really the second country to really blow up after mm -hmm. China. And so there wasn't really a frame of reference outside of the epicenter as to what it was going to be like, you know, so we thought, you know, maybe that was just China. Is this really a big deal? The same thing saying, you know, oh, well, more people die of the flu. Well, more people die of the flu because the flu was its own pandemic many years ago. Hmm. And, you know, it infected a ton of people because the right precautions weren't taken. So it's a lot of things that we know the answers to now. But yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say kind of disbelief or just not just not knowing and maybe just a little bit of that. <laughs> I don't want to say, I don't want to blame it on being an American. Maybe it's just a human thing, but just that kind of built in, like, I know better because I didn't mm. understand it. Um, and so I just kind of brushed it off. I was actually in uh, California when the outbreak in Daegu happened. I was on a mm -hmm. week and a half trip and I came home a few days after the first big outbreak was announced. And 
I came home just in time because if it had been a week or two later, it would have been a very different plane ride home if I had mm. even been able to come home. I, yeah, I, I do want to say, was, sorry, Michael, but I do want to, I, I always, you know, I try to be very honest on this show and I was in that same situation, you know, a few, hell, a few days ago. I didn't quite understand the importance of social distancing and the severity of the pandemic and the fact that even if the mortality rate is seems relatively low and even if you know once we have more tools the the issue is the the reason why you have to take it so seriously is that people die of it and the the health services can't cope if everyone is sick at the same time and that's exactly. i think yeah that that's i think something that uh, uh asian countries have understood much better than than western countries because they had the sars epidemic is my understanding they had kind of a rehearsal with that a few years ago and so they know what the deal is but uh, i i'm almost hopeful to hearing what you're saying because if that's what you were like a month ago and things still manage to be contained relatively well, maybe there's hope that the people who don't get it here will at some point. Or maybe it's just that the Koreans understood it because of SARS. Uh, were they the out Korean in the park? The Korean response or? here was, was massive. Mm. Like, I yeah. think they're the number one reason that everything has, has gone the way it has, because they, they elevated their uh, level, top CDC level, uh, the highest it could go. Um, very early in the process when Daegu started to really expand. And then they really put some measures in, such as um, tracing. Um, they put alerts out all the time, which scares the crap out of us with our phones going <laughs> off, um, which is like this big alert message. But it tells you um, where the person went, where they were located during these uh, hours, where they, you know, if they, if they were positive, uh, so that if you could see if that you went somewhere uh, like that, uh, they'll, you can kind of then check and, get yourself checked and see if that you might have uh, gotten it. But, is uh, it Korea's geolocated? Really Do you that. mean like if there's a case detected around your region, then they'll send uh, alerts to everyone in that zone, not to the whole country, I imagine? So uh, the, the, I don't know, we're actually. not sure about northern South Korea, mm. like Seoul and Pyeongchak area, uh, because we are in the far south next to Daegu and um, Busan. But uh, we're in the primary infected one. So I think that's why we're getting all the alerts, at least in mm. our area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you would they would literally trace back for a day or two where this person had been once they found out that someone was infected. So you could get, mm. you know, 10, 15 alerts within a few hour span. I had to turn mine off. I said, you know, I don't want to get infected, but I also can't have this many alerts all the time. So um, mm. but I mean, it was it was very thorough and it gave people an opportunity to say, okay, you know, I was going to go to this big store today, but this patient was there. So maybe not, you know, maybe I'll hold mm. off. And so that's the initial stage. And I, I guess what you're saying is that it went very quickly when they realized it was uh, uh, going to be that serious and everything shut down. So it was like empty streets, uh, no one coming out, no one going out immediately. Is that what you're saying? Uh, actually, uh, so actually, I don't think no. it was quite like that. Um, Daegu has been, like I said, the primary area. We have almost 5,000 cases in Daegu alone, uh, where if you look at like southern South Korea, I mean, next to us, there's like 18 now. It went from 20 to 18. And then even Busan, which has millions of people in it, I think has 50 something. It's not that many. But uh, once they... Uh, once they put this out, I think people just became more vigilant in just where they were going and what they were doing. I mean, I went running out in town 
and oh, a week ago, or, and there were people still going for walks. They just had masks on, and they were just making sure that they were not, you know, they were taking care of themselves. I think the the CDC here has been really preaching the wash your hands, uh, sanitize, wear masks, and social distancing, and people are, are honoring that. And I think that's what's really helped this situation. That's the, I would say honoring is absolutely the right word because even without any strict, because you know what we know, like in the states, they just. I think my friends in California were saying that they just put out a mandate that. Restaurants and bars are now operating at half capacity or something. That's their restriction. They didn't have a formal restriction here, but the restaurants all around us were way cut down on business. People just weren't going out as much because Mm. they understand that's how you avoid getting sick and that's how you avoid transmitting illness. And I hadn't thought about the SARS thing, but I think that absolutely may have some weight here because they've been there, done that, and they understand how these things work and how disastrous they can be. And we also know that like Daegu, um, I mean, they have they have areas that have been designated as what they're calling hotspots, you know, where there are multiple cases and, um, you know, they have quarantined areas. The hospitals are being hyper vigilant. Um, we actually went, I had to go to the ER for something in early January. So before it was even a big thing here, they had one coronavirus patient there and they were in a completely separate room by themselves heavily armed security outside, like nobody in, nobody out. So they were being so diligent so early on and people just respected it, which is, Mm. you know, what a concept. (laughs) So So you've been, it's been about a month. Um, Life for that month was, my understanding from everything you're saying is life was just slowed down, but not stopped. Is that a fair way of saying it. Everyone being careful and prudent um, yeah. for a month. That's how it went. Yeah, I'd say, and I'd also say, I mean, not, I'd say restricted, um, just a little bit, not by any like formal, I mean, as, as military families, well, I mean, as a family member, I don't have any formal restrictions that are put in place for me because I'm a civilian, but I do respect whatever restrictions are in place for military personnel because I'm just not a jerk, you know, <laughs> so I still try to be respectful of that. But, you know, there was, um, we have not dined out in any restaurants in a month mm. in town um, because that was something that the military was like, hey, you know, let's avoid this. Let's avoid crowds of 20 or more people, even on base, you know, meetings of 20 or more. A lot of things have turned virtual. A lot of things have been taken outside because outside it's, you know, less you know, fresh air kills all kinds of things. So being Mm. outside has been a big thing. Um, But we've pretty much just kind of stayed in our little bubble um, just for safety purposes. Like we just went out to one of the Korean shopping places um, for the first time in a month yesterday. So we've just kind of self-restricted in a lot of ways, just kind of like everyone else has. Again, nothing has formally been shut down, but I think slowed down is a good way to put it. How was the uh, shopping center yesterday? Totally fine. (laughs) We were just careful about what we touched and everybody's wearing their masks in the store and we bought what we needed to, some nice Korean snacks that we like out here. Yeah. And (laughs) and then we we came home. I think that, so life, I would say life for us is not normal right now. 
because um, we, we like to go out and eat in town, and it's a pretty regular thing that we do. And since Kara came back from Los Angeles, we haven't had Korean food for, what, three weeks now? Um, yeah, but I was missing it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had it. But, so life is, I think we've also acclimated to our situation and, we, and right. accepted it. And I think that's also why we're not in a dire mood right now in South Korea, just because we've kind of accepted this is what life is going to be for a little while. And it, it hopefully will event and pretty soon. And uh, hopefully that also goes for the rest of the world. Mm. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of our situation here. So slow down definitely is a great way to put that. And, and I think just knowing that it will end, like, I think that there's this fear that, oh, my God, life is going to be like this forever. It's like, no, if you take these, if you listen to the guidelines being put in place now, it will end things sooner because you won't have, you know, this inundated medical system and you won't have these thousands of deaths and you won't have this huge, like, that's going to be such a worse situation. Of course, Like, yeah. is it really, you know, it's just not worth it. Like just taking those chances is just not worth it. We've been in our little cocoon and now things are really starting to slow down and life will resume some kind of, you know, closer to normal sooner rather than later because of it. It's really interesting because it seems like what you're describing is what everyone is telling uh, the population, like the government officials are telling the populations to do, at least yes. from what I understand in, in France <laughs> yeah. and, and Finland. But in South Korea, people just listened. And it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't panicky. It was just, all right, it will last for a few weeks, a month, maybe two, but then it will be over. And maybe we need to do it next year if it starts again. But if that's... Yes. It works. And so yeah. I, my hope is that things will, um, people will realize after this crazy weekend that this is important and communication will change a little bit and we'll get to that stage. But let me turn to uh, Italy a little bit now. And of course, everyone feel free to jump in anytime you want. But uh, so Alessandro and, and Giovanni, maybe let's start with uh, Alessandro. Um, th how did that go? Because there was an explosion of cases in Italy as well. And it seems the restrictions were maybe a little bit slower to be put in place, which, by the way, thank you, because that taught us that we should not wait too long. But, um, yeah, how were people initially uh, not listening to the instructions and then they did? Or how did it go in the beginning? Uh, so I think in the beginning, the, um, the situation was really similar to what um, it was described for South Korea and for what's happening right now in uh, all the other countries. Like, uh, everyone is just thinking, oh, yeah, well, it's uh, just another flu. It's happening in China and South Korea, so it's really far away. We don't really need to uh, pay attention to it because it's just something that's going to happen and then we'll be fine. And then we... I think in the beginning, the measures that were taken to uh, contain this kind of um, epidemic weren't uh, weren't that great. But I also believe that as um, as the infections were progressing, the government made a really good effort to try to get on par with uh, uh, the the spread. And so with, closing down schools but, and, and instructing people to stay home and doing social distancing. When did that happen? Do you remember? Uh, so um, the schools were shut down really uh, towards the beginning, 
really after we had the first cases. It was the third, the the first thing that happened. So late, remember, late exactly. February. So two, three weeks late ago. Late February. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that happened because I actually was supposed to give uh, an exam in late February, and my university <laughs> just closed. <laughs> So. so you were like, yes, I can stay home and play video games. No, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was really adamant to take going out and taking that exam, but mm. it's fine. Um, and then uh, a week pa uh, uh, a week went by, and me being in the uh, in the in the in the region where the first cases appeared. Uh, the second region, actually, where the cases appeared, um, we were on lockdown starting from the the eighth of March. So this is, I think, this is effectively day nine of the lockdown. So when you say lockdown, it's asking people not to go out and limit their moving and not going out, but but not like actually like you don't have to stay home twenty four hours a day for. Two weeks like you can go out to buy stuff well so the the way the the government decided to do this thing is that when they on the 8th of march they put out this um uh this law i don't really know how to say it in any other way um they put out a couple of uh ideas where you were supposed to be home for whatever reason, and just try to not get out. And then they started giving you this kind of, oh, if you need to actually go buy groceries, you can do it. If you need to go to work, you can do it. Uh, if you actually need to go to the emergency room, you can go. And then day after day, it was kind of an evolving situation. So every day we would uh, get to know new things on how to behave. And that's why I say I think the with with the passing with every passing day the the situation here is getting every every time more under control. Mm. So uh, you're getting more and more information. More and more information, mm. more and more ways to uh, know how to handle ourselves. And but so did did people react appropriately initially? It seems inconsistent with what I know of Italians in general. But I, yeah, I don't think at the beginning of this, uh, people reacted in the in the proper way. But every day after seeing, oh, uh, we've had uh, 1,200 new infections today. Oh, we had 1,500 infections today, and mm. and going on and going on and going on. I think panic starts to creep in a little bit, and so even if. At the beginning, not everyone was ready to uh, go after these kind of self-imposed social uh, distancing rules. With the passing of time, with the day after day, with the uh, uh, infection number growing, everyone is starting to get a little bit more, I would say, accustomed to the uh, idea yeah. of trying to limit this thing with yeah. however it can. But... Um, Giovanni, I, I mean, you. It seems like what uh, Alessandro is describing is uh, order, and that's not the impression I got from the feedback 
from uh you know that we heard uh, from italy and of course with your area of expertise uh you probably know a little bit more about how it went down or how it should have gone down or that's what interests you i suppose yeah. but what's your assessment of of how it, italy handled uh the crisis and restrictions so i think that a, a very important point is something that you were discussing a bit before so Uh, how to actually grasp the dynamic of uh, the spreading of a virus. Uh, I think that probably in South Korea, they have a good experience from what happened before. But uh, I know that there is also some some research on how people uh, really are, there are actually kind of cognitive difficulties in understanding an exponential growth. Mm. Because we are used to see linear phenomenon that just will grow linearly over time. But... Uh, virus spread in an exponential way, so uh, really, really, really fast and on a very, very big scale. Um, so it's really very difficult to explain to people like me also. At the beginning, I was also a bit struggling. Then I started to look a bit into how it actually work. And then I honestly start not panicking, but really being really afraid of it. But I think that this is kind of an inevitable step in in understanding what, what's happening here in Europe. Mm. And uh, also, I think that this is related to how governments uh, uh, cope with the situation. They at first closed schools, as Alessandro said. So I've been also working from home for a while in my thesis. But then they, there, is, there was this moment when they start to close schools and impose restrictions to bars and restaurants. Uh, but in, here in Milan, I'm in Milan, so we are a city that is kind of considered himself the economic capital of Italy, a very fast-paced city. And there was this sort of reaction of people that were kind of denying the, the mention of the problem. And uh, even the authorities were saying, yes, but Milan is not stopping now. We, are, we will go on mm. uh, even if we have this big problem. But then, uh, and meanwhile, there were some areas probably where um, Alessandro is coming from that were already locked down. Not sure about his town, but many small towns where they had many cases uh, were totally locked down for a while before, like for one month before. But then... We realized that that was not enough. The cases were uh, continuously increasing. So finally, the government decided to shut down the whole region and some other parts of the north of Italy. But then at that point, people realized that they were being locked there. So they start to just running away from Milan and going to the rest of Italy, coming back to the south. Typically, there are in Milan many people from south of Italy. Mm. And that was kind of irrational response and probably also handled not very well by the government because they've done it in the, in the evening and then there were problems in actually enforcing people to, to remain where they were. It was not possible. So right now we have many people that were coming from the north of Italy that are uh, coming, that are back in the south and we are these days waiting for, for seeing what will happen um, in that cases. If there are probably there are positive cases around Italy because of that. From that point on, the government uh, in two days decided to lock down, to close the whole country. And yet we don't have a formal uh, prohibition to go outside, but uh, we, have this, uh, we have to produce this self-document that is a way of putting a legal um, constraint to people to say the truth and say why they are moving around. 
is kind of finding maybe an Italian flexible way of really trying to push people to um, so, to stay wait. at home if possible. So, so you have to just write yourself on a piece of paper why you're going out so that you can show it to someone? Yeah, yeah. We have a, a module to, to fill and we have to show it to police because police is controlling streets and if they find right. you that you're just having a walk for no reason outside, maybe with another guy, they will find you. And uh, they will find you. I think it's kind of huh. not... not Penal, but very serious thing. That's, and that's course, really... Oh, go ahead, Aysana. Uh, and of course, it's just something that uh, if, you, if you produce a module like that and you're straightforward lying on this yep. and, you, and they, found, they find out that you're lying on the reason you're, you're out, then they have something to actually go after you um, mm. and to, to find you. And uh, what's that like? Three, uh, three month arrest, I think. Okay. Well, yeah, so, okay. So it is, it is quite a, a, a drastic measure. I was, I was getting the, I was starting to get the impression that um, after a week or so, people understood the importance, and the government didn't have to impose more, more drastic measures. But even if it is a little bit symbolic, I mean, there are, there can be real consequences. I imagine not for yeah. many people, but. It, it, mm -hmm. The government did have to like become very serious and look people in the eye and say, you know, actually, you have to yeah. stay home unless you need to go out. Not just like enforcing it, not just saying it. That's interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah but absolutely. I think that this came from the the reality of facts here in north of Italy because mm. we are facing in our hospitals right now. A, a kind of an extreme situation. It's really strange to, to be in this condition because, first of all, we have the streets completely empty or almost completely empty, besides some, some people that go maybe to buy some food or just have a walk with their dog. But then, And, and just the, to be clear, sorry, but if you want to or if you need to go walk the dog or buy some food, you can fill out this form and show yeah, it to the yeah. cops and that will yeah, be yeah. okay. Like they let yes, you go to buy yes. some foods. Okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. So it's, it's still somehow flexible, but mm -hmm. they are really trying to it, do... It, yeah, it feels like it forces you to make the intellectual effort to justify... It's more justifying it to yourself than... It's it's a psychological trick almost, rather than a legal, serious legal thing. It definitely, yeah. feels, yeah. It, it definitely feels like when you're sitting down with a, uh, a paper in your hand, you're just thinking, do I really need to go out for this? Mm. Mm. Yeah. it's it's probably not the great thing uh in i think it's pretty clever the, it seems pretty clever but it, I, I, yeah uh, it's not like you're just taking your coat and getting off your door you just mm. before you go out you actually have to sit down at a table think, write yeah. a, a document and you have the time to think about what you're doing mm. yeah all right anything but else just, to add uh, giovanni yeah one thing to add is that I, the government basically started to ask to lock down and then uh, moved in this way very quickly, at the same time mostly, uh, because really one very important point is that our healthcare system is really, really, really under pressure here in the north. And I'm, maybe we have a very excellent healthcare system here in the north. Really, it's very, very good. We have also comparable to... I think the best in the world, more or less. Mm. Um, and 
we know from people, even directly from people working in hospitals, because we have friends working there, that they are really working over their normal limits because they are handling too many mm. cases of this disease that is really, really serious disease. You, we know the, the data that is, is for most people is safe, but still for a very relevant, significant percentage of people requires assistance. And the, since this disease spread very quickly, uh, we are kind of battling every day to imp uh, increment the number of beds that can uh, grant uh, respiratory assistance to keep up with the growing number of uh, people mm. that are sick. This is why the government decided to shut down the whole country, because it is, from a medical point of view, it's really serious. It's not just a bit, bad, bit my kind of bad flu. It's not something of like course. this. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you perspective on this, um, I, I'm a med student. I'm a sixth-year med student. And yesterday, we actually had... Uh, a form that we were willing uh, that we were uh, asked to fill if we were able to actually go and help with um, paperwork in the hospital even even though we're not doctors yet just because mm. every everyone in in the hospital is overworked right now uh, so, so you might you might to have to go and 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 work there even though you're not a full med student yeah. yet yeah all right. Um, Can I ask a quick question? Please do. Um, just out of curiosity, um, what is so? I know that South Korea's medical response was one of the biggest things that really helped curb the tide over here. Um, and I will say, we totally forgot there have been school closures. That's the one thing that they did close very early on were schools. But the medical response here, like everything was free. There was free testing. They had drive-through clinics where you could get a swab stuck up your nose while you're still in your car. And they do a quick test. Like the medical response was massive. I I know what it's like in the states. What is it like in the other areas? Like what is healthcare yeah. free so, in Italy? Yeah. What is what yeah, does that yeah. look like? We have a free healthcare system, so everyone is cured for free and also test for free. But so far, I know that actually we are testing only in hospitals and people with symptoms. We are not testing uh, outside this context. I think, yeah, this is related to another point that you were, were very, was very interesting to to listen your uh, your tale about the the warning that you are sending out because we don't have anything like this so far in Italy. We don't have a tracking system for for positive cases. We just rely on uh, like regionally centralized data, but the population is not informed by the local authorities about the cases where they happen, exactly where they happen. We don't have a tracking system in place so far, and that's a mm. big difference. I think okay. one of the differences is that, and we're not tracking in France or, or Finland either, um, and one of the things is we have so many cases that we don't have enough testing kits. So they can't test everyone just willy-nilly. They have to test the people who they think are either at risk or, um, you know, seem to be uh, developing serious symptoms. For most people, they're telling them just stay home unless you're really super sick and just stay home and, and you'll be fine, probably. And uh, that's, I think, the difference because we waited so long, maybe, or we weren't used, but... Uh, Okay. Yeah. 
in in so we're, we'll get to the U.S. now as our last part of the conversation. But so far, it does seem like with varying degrees of willingness to comply, um, we have a similar scenario because. For us, we're also at that stage where people don't really understand, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, people don't really understand and they're like careless about it, like you were describing in uh, in Italy, both of you, and maybe even to a little bit of an extent in, in South Korea, maybe it was because of the, you were, you're foreign nationals, so you didn't have the experience, but we're at that stage where people don't get it. And I'm hopeful that within the next few days, they will get it. And, you know, we're just maybe we happen to be a little bit more informed about the specifics of social distancing and why it matters. And and people and it is a strange concept. And and this idea that it's just a flu and you know, well, we don't understand that we become vectors for others and the exponential nature, as Giovanni was saying, or Alessandro, sorry, one of you two. Um both of us. Both of you. Um so it's yeah i think i'm hopeful that even though we're in this similar stage it will uh, uh evolve in the same way over the next few days hopefully faster but uh so the last part is the us and camden i guess you're you have the added um uh, fun of the issue of the 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 special relationship that americans have with government uh which complicates all of it and of course you're very much from the left side of the political spectrum so let's keep that in mind i guess as you uh, as we discuss all of this um oh, but yeah. certainly that that aspect of that spe specificity of america doesn't help mm -hmm. i suppose but yeah so can you tell us where where things are now it seems like oh sorry i, I keep interrupting you before you even start talking but i did want to say um it seems in europe in in central and northern europe there was a switch uh last thursday when we had the speech from president macron it seems every european country kind of had the same uh moment of oh okay this is serious and that's when it started changing in people's minds in france we had a municipal election that was um still happened during the weekend and some people were saying oh this is we shouldn't do that and but the experts are saying this is not a setting that is conducive to like the compromise was the acceptable scientific compromise was let's still hold the elections but of course some people think it's it wasn't a good idea uh but overall people understand what's happening um the the feedback I've gotten is that people, even from the left side of the political spectrum, were happy with what, were satisfied with the uh, things that Macron said. It was mainly, let's trust the scientists and the doctors and do what they recommend, which is mostly uh, uh, social distancing. And um, let's uh, uh, um, make sure that we have a solid uh, healthcare system. It's not something that should be involved in the capitalistic system essentially looking forward we have to make sure that this is something that is a service and not a cost and that's something that was very strongly uh hinted at and it's been the case before but maybe it was realigning some people's thinking in that uh area so and that i feel is the sentiment 
all over Central and Northern Europe, and I guess in South, Southern Europe as well. So that's how we're handling it. And that's which happened uh, for the, the mindset of, okay, it's serious. School's closing, everything's yeah. shutting down. We have to be serious. And over the weekend, uh, the French authorities had to instruct bars and restaurants to close because people were still going out. So some of them were not getting it, but I think it's the beginning of the process. All right, sorry for the long description, but now on to the US. Camden, how are things going over there? Uh, so it's been interesting hearing all of you talk about the way that your countries are responding, because I think it really highlights the importance of trust and leadership. Uh, we can't trust a single thing that comes out of Trump's mouth. And even his own advisors can't trust what's coming out of his mouth. And it's creating a lot of chaos. Uh, it's, I, I want to talk about Italy just for a second, because the Italians made me cry tears of hope multiple times this past week. You see their national government playing Pavarotti, and there's a bunch of jets flying, burning yes. the colors of their flag. <laughs> and it's, I don't know, because the United States, we don't do things like that, right? There's no unifying sign. And then the, the aftermath of that is you see film after film after film showing up on Twitter of just entire blocks singing songs, right? Just having a good time. We'll make it through this. And then when you look at the United States, we're running out of guns and ammunition sales, And people are having to try to find more guns and ammunition to prepare for this. And I think part of that is straight because we don't know what's going to happen. And we know that our infrastructure cannot support um, this right now. Uh, you were saying um, Macron was trying to ensure that everybody has health care, right? We're not going to pay for tests. We're not going to pay for the vaccine. Well, in the United States, 87 million people either don't have insurance or are underinsured and can't afford to go get tested, right? And a lot of people, they live paycheck to paycheck. They can't afford a random $400 bill. And just to get tested, it costs from $1,600 to $3,000. So if you don't trust your president who's saying it's a hoax and he's laid off the CDC because, well, they, they quit because he cut the funding 80%, you have people like myself who are like, I'm not even going to risk it. I'm just going to hide in my apartment. I'm immune compromised. I'm just going to hide. You have some people acting like it's about to be the end of the world. And then you have people like my coworkers. They just, they go to work. They think everything is great. And I am worried to death for them because a lot of them are, you know, in their 60s or older. I just, I would very much like if the United States had a leadership that could get the reaction or at least put out the messaging that it seems that these other nations are doing, uh, I think it would help a whole bunch, to be honest. So do you think, I mean, certainly it seems Trump was being Trump until his uh, speech, was it last Wednesday, I think, something like that, which was definitely not great. And there were some mind-boggling issues, like he specifically said that um, insurance companies were waiving copay for treatment, which they, they are waiving copay for uh, testing, which at this point, as I was saying before, it feel, it seems like testing isn't really is pointless at this point because we're not going to have enough tests and the pandemic is unavoidable anyway. Everyone's going to get it eventually. Um, but the, 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 the fact that Uh, insurance companies were waiving uh, copay for treatment was very quickly debunked by insurance companies themselves. So certainly that idea that, you know, 
uh, the 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 clear messaging from government is problematic seems to to be the case. But I'm wondering if since then things have improved. And before we come back to you, Camden, I do want to uh, turn to our uh, Korean uh, expatri expatriates and get your feeling on how things... Because from Camden's f uh, feedback, it seems like it's a lot of panic. Um, you don't have to tell me what what political allegiances you're <laughs> leaning towards, but I guess you know. I guess political uh, uh, military family. Obviously, you're uh, uh, from the Republican side, but you don't have to say. But uh, what's your your read on on what's happening there in the U.S. Maybe compared to what you see in South Korea or elsewhere. Um, so not to prove you wrong or anything, but I'm actually very, very much a Democrat. <laughs> I was going to say I'm also from a military family. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and my ex-army father is also very much a Democrat, and my ultra-conservative right. grandma is an ultra-Democrat. I have an entire Republican half of my family, um, but I personally am very much a Democrat, and um, yeah, I mean, like, yes, in, in many ways. Um, I do have some, you know, slightly more right views on some things, like I'm more of a centralist on a couple issues, but... Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> All right. I will just, so, I will just set that there. But, but all that aside, without even discussing, you know, the, uh, current leadership or anything like that, everybody that, so I have half of my friends are saying, what's the big deal? The other half are just calling for the first time going, have you heard about this thing? <laughs> <laughs> going, yeah, <laughs> it's been going on like all over the world for, you know, a couple months now. And, um, and I think some of them, you know, my mom's a retired nurse. So I think she understands why this is, these things are happening, like why the social distancing is happening, why the closures are happening. Um, she's part of the choir at her church. And so they've had to, they've had to change how their rehearsals are happening so that they're sitting five feet, feet apart while they're practicing and their Easter services are going to be canceled. And, you know, but the people that I talked to were going, you know, what, why, why is everybody buying toilet paper? And I said, you know, I can't mm -hmm. explain that to you because <laughs> we have plenty of toilet paper here and it, we have 8,000 cases, you know, so I can't tell you why everybody's Th buying that toilet part, paper. That part, by the way, the toilet paper crazy. thing <laughs> is happening <laughs> in it, 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 pretty much everywhere. I, but, I uh, have yeah. told people back home that I will go to our Korean, I'll go to Lotte Mart, I will go to Home Plus, I will go to our Korean stores, I will buy you toilet paper <laughs> and I will send it to you because this is just nuts. And I have a couple of All right, friends. But toilet with, paper you know, aside, yeah. yeah. What's that? Toilet paper aside, uh, what's, so what's your, let's <laughs> but, get yeah, so, but yes, they absolutely feel like there's a huge, huge panic and it's freaking them out. And it's, you know, panic begets panic. And that's, that's what we're seeing. And we're fearful, um, of people that we know, like Mike's dad has every, you know, every secondary condition under the sun. Mm. So, or pre-existing condition under the sun. So he is, extremely at risk and they don't have anyone to help them out. So like we're scared because of the panic and because of the lack of like focused response. I, I am very grateful that we're not in America personally as a family. I have a toddler, I'm pregnant. So there are many reasons why I'm glad we're not in the thick of it, but we also can't be there to help anyone. And everyone is freaking the mm. heck out. Then it's, so it's kind of scary. I, I guess we've had some, uh, 
tales of fairly disciplined or guided responses from uh, Asia or at least South Korea. It seems it's pretty much the same in, in Japan. And I've been following mm -hmm. it because I've uh, had to cancel a trip to Japan a couple of weeks ago, like last minute, as, as listeners might know. Um, and they contained it because they implemented social distancing immediately. And God knows places like Tokyo are not easy to control in that in that way. But anyway, I don't know exactly what they did, but they contained it, contained it in China, obviously. France, uh, Europe, we don't know if it's going to work, but at least the government is uh, uh, communicating very clearly. Um, again, Mike, I guess you, you have the same read as your as your wife. It's it's there's a lack of clarity in the messaging. It's not just the early stage. I guess that's my question. Do you feel it's the early stage of that process that we all went through, including where it's it might turn out okay? Or is it different because of the distrust in government that seems inherent to America in general and even more so in the past few, uh, maybe decade or so? I think I think America is just one of those countries that's just so spread out and so diverse in a lot of ways that I can't really see a lot of the measures that have been implemented in other countries um, really uh, working as well. I, I think it's hard to get Americans to buy off on things sometimes. Being an American, I'm fully well fully aware of that. And uh, I mean, I, like you don't see Italy buying out, buying out toilet paper or Japan or things like that. Like we're just a unique oh, piece actually, in America. Actually, we've done actually, it. We've done yeah, it. Oh, did Italy you? has done oh, it. Japan oh, okay, has. <laughs> it started in Japan. Actually, it started as a, as a meme and a, and a, 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 you know in Japan because they thought that toilet paper was being manufactured in China and they would run out, oh. which obviously it wasn't, and they didn't. And it's been you know it's been happening all over. And I've even seen uh, you know videos of people in literal toilet paper uh, uh, stocking warehouses laughing their asses off because they have mountains of toilet paper ready to be delivered. They're like, anyway, so it's happening. I feel everywhere. a little bit better that it's not only Americans. Yes, I mean, like, it. I wish the whole world wasn't completely bananas in that sense, but I also feel better knowing it's not just Americans. Yeah. But I have to say that after the, the first panicking moment, uh, we we don't have problem in uh, the supply chain. So our supermarkets are still working. And let's say that at the beginning, we, we even ran out of rucola. That was a big issue for me. <laughs> but now everything is fine. So you can just go to the supermarket and buy almost everything. Maybe uh, you have some small difficulties with, the, like, with uh, fresh bread because I think that they were not... Uh, prepare to to supply more fresh bread, but bread, but uh, really, mm. is not an issue. Yeah, we're mostly fine that's right good. now. I think. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's I think good. Overall, so that's that's good uh, for for <laughs> Thankfully, some supply chains have caught up. Uh, but in the United States, I think it's just it's such a, a different beast. And I'm looking on social media since we're not really following 24-hour news, so don't get the the hype panic that 24-hour news media can really produce. Um, But I'll see I'll see things on Twitter or people on Facebook and I'll see like the St. Patty's weekend was this weekend. And I know that a lot of my friends probably went out to go drinking at the bar yeah, uh, when they same. were probably told not to do that because it might cause a further problem. 
So it'll be really interesting to see uh, in right. going forward uh, how many cases do spring up in the United States, because I think that'll be when it really hits home, when all these cases start cropping up and people saying, oh, wow, it really is a big deal and we really do need to pay attention to this, because there are people that are following social distancing. Uh, I see also lots of people making jokes about being at home playing video games, but... Um, <laughs> majority and then i have the friends are on the other side that are that are going out and still doing stuff so i think i really think camden's analogy about the titanic is pretty good because yeah. i can see both it, of those sides directly when i'm looking yeah. online and and yep. just to be clear and we're going back to camden now um the analogy is if the the situation is the t titanic which it actually isn't because Things aren't sinking. That's the most frustrating thing, I think, about all of this. If we observe social distancing and we don't go out when we don't have to, then things improve quite rapidly. They, they, they improved. The, the, hopefully, the health services can handle the influx of, of sick people because you reduce the number, the concurrent number, because you don't go out and it doesn't spread enough. And as we, we've seen in Asia and possibly now in Italy and hopefully soon elsewhere, it helps. So the ship isn't sinking. We would be fine if everyone would just remain home, for mm -hmm. freak's sake. They're tipping over the boat. Stay on your side. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So, so Camden, what's the situation like, like currently um, for you and around you? And, and you've described it a little bit, but I want to hear more about how you think things are going now and how you th see them evolving over the next, I don't know, week or two. Uh, so there's a couple charts going around that's comparing the United States uh, outbreak rate to Italy, and we're about two weeks behind. Uh, so we have a lot we of had people the that are still in that. We had the exact same charts going with two weeks behind uh, in France about uh, uh, five days ago. So it's it's really interesting to see how similar paths these things are are following. But, um, same thing yeah. happened. Same thing happened to us with the uh, Huang region from yeah. China. We're two weeks behind. It, We're two weeks behind. With, with it, it, Italy and and that region specifically have similar uh, populations. Mm. So it's actually a model that works really well. Yeah, and then it's, so it's kind of an interesting study of human behavior. Yeah, you know, because yeah. the United States, we've had all this time to prepare, and we're still treating it like every other country did. Oh, we'll be fine. Mm. So that's the the the. The spirit now, the mood now will be fine, and some people are starting to look at the charts. You said there are two charts going around. Uh, well, so there's there's that graph that's comparing the United States to the growth of other nations. Uh, it, it really is just a matter of like like we were saying, where some people are looking at this and they're going, "Oh my God, in two weeks everything's going to hit the fan," and they're bracing for it and panic. And some people are going about their everyday lives. Uh, my biggest thing that I'm afraid of is if we do reach this point where it's really bad, uh, I don't think our hospitals can handle that amount of people. And I know for sure we don't have enough equipment. Uh, I'm, I don't remember if this is the right number, so don't quote me on it. But I want to say we only have about 50,000 ventilators. And we're going to need a lot more of those uh, if people are going to want to be able to breathe during the pandemic. Uh, we also don't have enough tests. Uh, Trump just threw over four days he threw $2.2 trillion at the economy to re-stimulate it. And he could have been investing that money into tests. He could have been uh, you know, I investing mean, that into ventilator kits or what have you, right? Healthcare for everybody. And even in, there's a, the richest man in China. 
he wanted to donate 500,000 test kits to the United States and he was turned down. So I just Jack Ma, I, I thought would he like just sent see. them. He I think he sent them. Um, did he actually send them? Did, I, I think did, he did. did uh, we actually accept those? I, I'm not sure, but but the thing is, it's so. I mean, everything you're saying is is important, of course. But uh, ventilators, you can't have enough. That's the problem. Even you know, in Italy and very soon in other countries, we're not going to have enough, and it, you can't make them uh, from one day to the next. And that's why yes. it's important to flatten the curve. Some people, I mean, you have people. Uh, being uh, treated in the hallways in the hospitals, the 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 the, the that and the tests, as I was saying. A again, I'm not a medical professional, so don't quote me on this. But I've read a little bit about it. At some point, it's pointless to test people because everyone's going to get it. You test people when they are actually symptomatic and they come to the hospital and you want to know if they have the regular flu or the uh, COVID-19. That's when you test them. Uh, before that, you, you don't want to test people just to make sure that whether or not they have it, because if you start testing everyone, obviously the tests are not going to be available to the people who actually need them when they're sick later down the line. So I think that, you know, the, the idea that, and, and maybe Camden, you're at a stage where I was, or we were a couple of weeks ago, you, you, we were like, oh, but we need tests, we need tests. No, we're past that stage. We're at the pandemic now. Um, so it, it, the, but, the approach uh, you have changes. Yeah, Giovanni, sorry. Sorry, if I can add just one thing on this point, because I think it's slightly different and it really is a big difference between Europe and or US and South mm. Korea. Because in South Korea, they are testing a lot of people, like mm. more than everywhere else in the world. Because it's, they were prepared for this. So basically they kind of handled the whole situation from the beginning to the, until this point, following an overall strategy. What we are doing right now in Italy, slowly like locking down the whole country, is a, is a kind of emer emergency break that we had to pull to, to slow down the, the, the spread of the disease. But then uh, presumably, and in one region in Italy, they are starting to do it right now. You have to, go back and try to test as much as people as possible to actually limit the, the spread of the disease because otherwise you won't be able to to handle the, the increasing amount of people that are sick. So it's kind of there is this emergency stage where you have to uh, go back, take back control of the situation and what is where we are right now and I think is a stage you are entering in France and mm. uh, they will enter in the US. But then from what understood, from what they are doing in South Korea, maybe they can can give some more precise information. You go back to testing as much people as possible, as quickly as possible, to actually isolate the positive case be before they can spread it further. If you can, but I think that's diff on different stages. Of course, if you have enough tests to test everyone in the country, then that's ideal, but we don't. And given the, the stage we're at, there are different types of responses that are appropriate given what... Uh, you know, tools you have. At least that's how I understand it. Um, maybe in well, South Korea they can. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, just to be clear, it's they're not testing, like, if I have no symptoms and I haven't been in anywhere near any of the hotspots or anywhere yeah. near any of the infected, I wouldn't go to a drive through clinic. So um, the, all of the free testing is being done on people who may have it. So if you've been near a hotspot, if you've been near one of the infected, if you are showing clear symptoms, those are the yeah. ones that are getting the immediate free mm. testing. 
but then anyone else, if you, if you just want to be sure, like if I started to have a little bit of breathing difficulty or something, I could go pay a hundred bucks and get a test. Mm. So, you know, there are, there are some limitations to it because I mean, like, yeah, we don't have enough to test the entire country, but they are being fairly liberal. Um, and the ones who do need the testing are getting it for free and they're getting it immediately. Yep. Um, and this is also very interesting, sorry for, for me, because oh, kind of terms of digital government, but really they can test who is uh, considered high risk. So they can reduce a lot the percentage of people that they consider at risk and then focus on them so they can have enough tests mm. for everyone. So, so, yeah, it certainly seems like the the competency of the government is important and that is absolutely a question um with the current administration in the in the u.s and i i think most people there are some people who will never uh, uh you know agree to that but i think most people um are are realizing now that for some things a competent government is important and maybe the emphasis wasn't on that um when deciding the current administration but do you think, Camden, this is a, a situation that can... Because even if the government is not uh, ideal, it seems like most people are now understanding the gravity of the, the situation, including in the government. And there are some people somewhere who know what should be done. Do you still think that what should be done isn't going to be done because it's just chaos? Or do you think it's going to be you know, handled somewhat appropriately. I feel it's the second option, but I don't know. So thankfully the United States doesn't uh, adhere entirely to the federal government. We have our states and on a state by state basis, uh, some governors are doing a very, very good job. So I have uh, Jay Inslee in Washington state and he's done some things that are questionable, but you can tell that he's actually taking this seriously, trying to make sure that People are maintaining their distances. I think they just put into an effect today that all utility uh, costs are going to be frozen. So if somebody's staying at home, they don't have to worry about having their utility cut. And I know. Um, so you mean electricity, internet, the Blasio all that? Blasio in New York has been doing a bunch of things as well. Uh, but when you look at Oklahoma, the governor of Oklahoma, you saw him uh, the other day at a bar, right, having a gay old time. And the messaging that that sends to the state. Uh, I think leaves the state unprepared and it doesn't tell the people of your state that, hey, we need to be mm. taking this seriously. Uh, was it like, you mean two days ago? Because I'll, I'll be completely honest, Macron was at a, like a theater somewhere a week ago going like, yes, life goes on. And like, that's why I say there was a switch uh, on Thursday. Like a week before that, everyone was like, yay. And maybe like your governor was doing, the, the governor you were mentioning was doing. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the name of the governor of, of Oklahoma. I want to say it was on Friday. Oh, okay, yeah. So you're still well. Again, you're behind on everything. Um, so do you trust that? So you trust on the state by state level, essentially, is what you're doing. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Washington State um, is a very progressive state. You know, Jay Inslee is one of the people that's been working on the Green New, Green New, Green New Deal and uh, supports Medicare for all and things like that. So. They're going all in on helping people. And then some states are a little, it, for, at least from my perspective, right, they don't seem to be going all in quite as well. And, and it's also a different environment because Washington State, uh, we have a lot of airports coming in uh, that fly across the Pacific. 
And it's a much different city than, say, New York City, where, you know, they have to wash down the, the subway every single day to make sure people don't lick the bars, which is what was happening it's um it will it will be a whole other conversation uh about the effect that this will have on different administrations i think in all countries not just in in the us but even in france and other countries i think the handling of this crisis and the result of uh the handling will make or break uh administrations and and cost reelections um oh, i totally agree that Yeah. So we'll see. It it will be things, I think, like uh, percentage of um, death per uh, population compared in different countries and these kinds of things um, that will be like if if France has, you know, three times as many deaths per population in percentage as another country, it would be bad. If it's less or if it's equal, then it would be you handle it well, well done, crisis of, you know, managed. Um, and of course, in the U.S. Well, that's a whole other thing as yeah. well, because uh, you, you'll ask somebody, hey, how many deaths are acceptable? And I would tell you zero. But then some people wow. will say, well, the three percent's acceptable. What's three percent? Well, that's millions of people. And, you know, it depends on your perspective, I guess. But okay, let me challenge you on this a, a second. Zero. I mean, acceptable, obviously, we understand it's going to happen. But when you say zero, uh, we have, I hate to go back to the flu, But people die every day. The flu, the car accidents, you know, people die. So zero seems a little bit extreme as the point to say how many deaths are quote-unquote acceptable. I think um, the logic is uh, it's kind of like having sand in your hands. It, your pieces are going to slip out, but you're trying to hold as much as possible. So if you mm -hmm. set the goal at zero then that means that you are determined to make sure that you do everything that is entirely possible, right? Mm. There's no slack. Uh, and, you know, like closing the bars down, making sure that people are aware of social distancing, making sure that mortgages are frozen so people, including small businesses, don't have to lose their property, right? Instead of encouraging behaviors. Whereas if we were to say that 3% was an acceptable number, well, if that's acceptable, what else is acceptable? Are we mm. going to just let people go up to work? Are we going to let people be charged $1,600 for the fee? I, I say flat out, no. Mm -hmm. It is the responsibility of the government to take care of the people that tell it, hey, we need to be taken care of. And I would really, really like to see an establishment take that to heart and go make sure that their people are taken care of. So in France um, and in Finland, actually, most banks seem to be implemented implementing uh, six months freezes on uh loan reimbursements on of any kind and of course that's, that's because awesome. they don't want they don't want you know every loan to be defaulted on <laughs> that would be bad for them but still uh it's it's obviously very positive for everyone involved uh in this situation because the economic consequences are going to be a whole other issue down the line and of course everywhere we're talking about we have free healthcare. so Even if in the U.S., uh, let's say they won't turn people down more than in other countries, they will try to uh, uh, take as many sick people in charge as possible. The fact that insurances are not waiving copay for uh, treatment means that there are a lot of people that are going to go bankrupt, I imagine, uh, following this. And we'll see if this holds. 
but that is another difference between the the western countries and and the us and i wonder what kind of rationalizations for st still not defending uh healthcare um the the americans are going to be able to come up with but that will be well, entertaining as well are you familiar with senator katie porter i am not okay she uh was interviewing uh i don't remember if it's the physician that Trump put in charge of the outbreak, or if he's uh, headed the CDC right now, I don't remember. His name is Redfield. He was being interviewed by the senators the other day, and they were trying to get him to confirm um, that all copays and all fees would be waived, right? It's going to be 100% free, something along those lines. And she kept drilling him over and over and over again because he was giving uh, no answers, medium answers, right? Yes or no. Well, it's more complicated than that. He finally, she finally got him to just say, yes, absolutely, we'll be free in the Senate. And then the following morning, he said, I never said that. And it's just never happened. So she's pressing again to try to get all of these copays and the, the fees waived, and it's just not happening. Mm. All right. Well, that's a little bit more dire. I guess that's a, a, a somber point to end the show on. Um, just going back to the to the south korean americans <laughs> um is that <laughs> how you see things going like is the main concern healthcare and how much it will cost and and the states are going to be able to handle it like what's your your take on all of this uh, as it progresses in the next few weeks um i definitely think healthcare is a huge factor because you know as camden mentioned before there are millions of uninsured and underinsured um where yeah, just to be clear just... even if you're insured it's not guaranteed that all of it is going to end up being free quote unquote like you Correct. could be insured yeah. but so you yeah. could i mean you like american healthcare is just so screwed up on so many levels but you could be paying hundreds of dollars a month for individual healthcare you know paying to your employer and you could still go and have a like when i broke my foot i was paying 2 300 bucks a month for my health insurance that was mm. getting deducted out of my paycheck. And then I was still having to pay a hundred dollars every time I visited my orthopedic doctor, just for him to tell me my foot was still broken, you know? So it's like, it's insane the way that it works. And so mm. there are people who are just not going to be able to afford testing and they're not going to go, they're not going to go and say, okay, well, you know what? I may or may not have it, but I can't afford a two, three, four, five thousand dollar, you know, whatever the cost is. Like if you have no insurance, God only knows what those tests cost right now. Mm. Um, they're just not gonna go. And that of course, especially within a household, you know, you could spread it to your family in a in a heartbeat. And then if your family goes, you know, it's just it's that exponential growth for the people who aren't gonna get tested, who can't afford to get tested, that is worrisome. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's also the It just that, you know, that arrogance that all of the all of the countries that sounded like started with, which is just this doesn't affect me, you know, mm. and I hope that America will hit that point where they realize that there is some severity. And I saw the, you know, the charts that were mentioned about comparing America to Italy. I saw one of those just today and I was like, I think it's going to take I think it's going to take, you know, 15, 20,000 cases before people go, oh, This could affect me too, you know, but it's, there's also so much travel within the, I just, I feel like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And I think it's going to be because of the healthcare and because of 
people's dismissal and disbelief that they have any part in it. Mm. Yep. Well, also just, um, just the living conditions people have, uh, people don't like to talk about it, but we have a large workforce of just straight up senior citizens, uh, yes. people that are 65 and plus. And I mean, they're, people don't like the term, but they're basically wage slaves because they have to work for their insurance. Well, if you have a bunch of people that are in their plus 60s who are, you know, immune compromised, that they have to have this insurance so that they can deal with their medical bills, they're going to work whether there's a coronavirus or not. And that's a problem because those are the people specifically we're trying to protect. Mm. Yeah. That's that's something that is always shocking to me when I go to the US. It's the amount of uh, people who are seniors, maybe not elderly in the sense that super old, but definitely who would be retired in in Europe who still go to work, you know, they they're security people or or clerks at the mall or whatever. And we just don't mm -hmm. see that here. It's it's a very I st have strong a, difference. Yeah. A coworker that died a month ago. Uh, and he was in maybe his 90s. He was a cancer patient. Uh, and he just died working because he could never retire. And it was just really sad. He was, he was not a good employee, but the, uh, the employers kept him because, well, yeah. what are we supposed to do? If we let him go, he's just going to die. And he doesn't have anything else to do and nowhere else to go. So mm. I don't like that somebody 95 had to work themselves to death. All right. Um, I'm all positive on this show. <laughs> that's but, but what's sad is that that's realistic too. Like yeah, it's yeah. not even a pessimistic point of view. Like that, you know, there's, I don't know if you guys have heard that song by, oh God, um, Childish Gambino, but he does This Is America. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen it, you need mm -hmm. to see it because it, he does this music video that is just so authentic to the kinds of things that Americans just walk past and they're just like, mm, doesn't directly impact me. So just going to keep on going. And it's just such like an individualistic point of view. And it's so damaging. There is not, there is not a community mindset in the large majority of America. And I think actually, I don't know how it is in European countries and stuff, but the, the things that I've seen in South Korea and The things that I've seen, even, you know, like I've, I've been loving the videos of everybody singing in Italy. I didn't know so many people owned accordions and tambourines. It's so nice because there's that, you know, there's that community and that camaraderie and you don't see that in America. And I think there might be something about just that general mindset as well that says like, hey, we are a community and I can't just think about myself. I have to think about how these things are going to impact other people. That is so rare. So mm. I feel like that mindset might just hurt mm. their healing as well. Disclaimer, I do not own an accordion. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I, and I'm French, so what gives? I'm just assuming after that video I saw of like, you know, it was some balconies. and You wanted to go out and buy an accordion yourself? Is that it? <laughs> I, just, I just have it in my head now that in some neighborhoods in Italy, every other apartment owns either a tambourine or an accordion. <laughs> But I'd say <laughs> that's in the south. We in the north are a bit, a bit less musicians than that. You, you we, just... We, You We're just, cold people up here. <laughs> you, you just go out on the balcony and read a book. That's what you do. <laughs> you know, that's okay, too. I also like books. <laughs> Excellent. No, but to say that in these days, also in Milan, uh, like every few hours, I have to say right now, it's even starting to be even too much. 
there is someone that open a window and start to put on some music and screaming and say, yeah, let's go, let's do it, uh, Forza Italia, <laughs> things like this. It's already every few it's hours. It's too it's much happening. already. After two Aww. days, you're like, shut up. Okay. We've gone through all the classics. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to bring the show to a close. There would be a ton uh, of other things to discuss. But uh, before we, we go, uh, does anyone else, does anyone have anything else to, to add before we finish? I think we covered a lot, but... Maybe uh, yeah, if you're in America, <laughs> please listen to this and um, protect yourselves and protect those around you because it's not a joke and it could really easily be curbed if Y'all just take some notes from everything you just heard. Anyone yeah. in America who hears that, please. Social distancing. That's that's it. Social that's all you need to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just stay home. Don't talk to people as as little as possible. Uh, Gio- take care of your elders. Giovanni, Alessandro, yeah. you wanted to add something? Yeah. One yeah, thing that for me was really strange these days that I'm living in Italy, but I have many connections. I'm working with people outside Italy and was really for us hard to to see how we are started we started to lock down while outside italy people were just going on with their lives mm. and that now they're looking at us as a bit of a good example of what to do but we are not actually a good example because if we would done it before every day before it would be way better so just the sooner the better so if you start to, to act right now social distancing is better it's just Every second, every day that that pass, since how this, this this spread, it's just much worse. So just start right now to do everything you can, every little thing that you can, to to avoid the spreading. Yeah, yeah. I've had some friends actually uh, checking up on me and just asking what to do because we've been we've we've been going through this before everyone else. So if we uh, if you can just start taking measures against this thing, uh, I mean, just the earlier the better. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a really great article that's been going around. I'm sure many of you have already seen it, but it's a Medium article by uh, Thomas yes. Pueyo, I guess. Great, yeah. great article. Yes, absolutely. Which for me, really, that's when I, I realized, oh, okay, this is how it works. This is what happens. This is what you need to do. I'll put the links in the sh- the link in the show notes. It's also in my. Um, I've put it everywhere, but um, it's my on my Instagram, my my Twitter. Um, it's very realistic and neutral way of looking at what happens. And anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that um, one of the charts he's looking at is how much one more day waiting um, before implementing things affects uh, the, the spread. And it is something like 40%. If you wait one more day, and this is why every day, literally every day matters, uh, 40% reduction in uh, the spread if you implement social distancing one day earlier. So this is, you know, if you only read one, I think everyone would agree that this is the one to to read. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but um, yeah. It's a long article, but it's absolutely worth it. Oh, you will you will just read it in one go. It's super well written. Absolutely, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. And it's available at the end of the article. You have translations into like 20 different languages. So it will mm-hmm. be available in many, uh, all, all of the languages. So, um. All right. Anyone else? Uh, Very good. 
I know it's irregular. I was hoping that if I could bring something to people's attention. Oh, please do. Okay. Uh, if people could go to Twitter or whatever and search MMIW, it stands for Missing Murdered Indigenous Women. We have an epidemic kind of going on in the United States right now that nobody is talking about. And it's that thousands upon thousands of mostly women or uh, two spirits, but just indigenous folk in general are just flat out disappearing. And uh, local governments, when brought up to this, aren't doing anything about it. If anything, they're uh, making it harder for the natives to you know, speak their case. Uh, there uh, has been this, um, sorry, I don't want to cry on the podcast. <laughs> There's this pipeline that's going through BC and a lot of the, they, they think that the workers that are being brought in to work on the pipeline are kidnapping women. And so for every woman that's being left out, they're leaving a red dress hanging along the pipeline or along the trees. And uh, I just think that people need to be talking about this. All right. Well, the hashtag and the thing to look for is MMIW. Uh, the that's message correct. has gone through. And I can give you a, a link to an article that talks about it if, if you're interested. Sure. I'll include it in the show notes. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you very much to all of you for being on the show. Uh, I hope we got some information out that will be useful to the people, people listening. Um, I hope that what we seem to be noticing is uh, actually the case and the, the, the pattern of first disbelief, then carelessness, then seriousness is indeed happening everywhere. So hopefully... Um, what we're talking about, which is it's actually not that difficult to combat this crisis, which is one of the worst the world has ever seen. It's so frustrating because it's easy to handle. We just need social distancing. And hopefully uh, that message will go through over time. Um, I will also say we'll see down the line in the, in the next few months um, how things turn out. But it honestly seems like the world is not handling this too badly. Of course, um, the, the initial reaction is difficult, especially in countries that have never seen something like this before. But I think it might be a, a well-handled crisis in the end. We'll see. But for all the talks of, of you know, uh, uh, world... I don't know, like the world is falling apart and no one knows what to do and everything is crap and the governments are crap and, and people are idiots. Yes, there are some, I don't want to say idiots, but people who don't understand, but a week ago I wouldn't have understood. So it's, I think overall we'll be okay and we're handling it. Uh, and the, the example of both South Korea and Italy, surprisingly, again, a week ago, if you, you had told me how is Italy going, I would have said, well, not good. But uh we can't progressed. say that so far. I'm, I'm no. sorry, but we can't say that so far. We're yeah, not there I, yet. We're not there yet, of course, but it, it's definitely a lot better and a lot more disciplined than the image I had a week ago for Italy. You know what I mean? But no? We don't know if, it, if it's enough, honestly. We don't know if mm. it's enough. Yeah. We can't say right now. We have to wait until maybe one week more and then we can see if it's starting to improve, but... These days, every day, the death count is, is increasing, and we can't say we are over it. Okay. We need, we need, a, we need, yeah, we actually need another week to see if the measures we are taking right now are t 
taking are, are making any kind of discernible effect, or if we will just uh, keep climbing the exponential line of cases. Well, I I may be a little bit more I, uh, optimistic. I, 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 sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I I do believe we will start to see the effect in in a little while. Yeah. I think I think it will take you know for the whole world a, a few more weeks and maybe a couple of months, but it seems like, well, we'll see. I we'll want be, to be optimistic. We'll be okay. I'm I sure but, we'll be okay. But this can last a bit, so we don't have to to be too, like too much in a rush to to think that in one or two weeks we have to solve it. In Korea, no, they say that they started in January to take measures, and now they are in a good a good point, yeah. but. Uh, it it can last a while, and we have to be prepared to not to worry too much if it's lasting a bit longer than what we expected. I agree, completely agree. All right, uh, that's going to be it for the show. Thank you very much to all of you. Those who have Twitter or Instagram accounts, uh, they will be available in the show notes, so you go check. You can go check them out there. Uh, if you want to support this show, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/TheFiliusClub. If you got something out of this episode and if you enjoyed it, if you thought it was useful, please consider doing th- so. The the show uh, the link is in the show notes as well. Again, thank you to Michael, Cara, Alessandro, Giovanni, and Camden. Uh, thank you very much and we will be back in a little while i don't know when but we'll keep doing those because uh it's something we can do while we're stuck indoors so talk to you then (laughs) bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.